You're listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Liz, do you have a favorite piece of public art? What is public art? Public art is any art that is in a public space. Or for me, it's public enough space. So it could be like, it's in a state building. It's a painting in the courthouse. That's public art. Um, Or it is a fountain. It's the Travy Fountain. Or it is a sculpture in the middle of a city. Oh, okay. So, like, not in a museum. Not in a museum unless it's on the grounds and it's viewable by the public, I suppose. Like, one of my favorite pieces of public art is, uh, it's the giant, <laughs> it's the giant shuttlecocks that are on the, uh, the Donald J. Hall Sculpture Park in Missouri. Hmm. So, it's, technically, it's part of a museum's collection, but it's outside so the public could see it. And they're just these, like, enormously out-of-place, hilarious badminton birdies just in the turf as though giants had been playing a game and they were abandoned. That sounds pretty interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I was kind of panicked. Oh, sorry. I was like, what's your favorite? And I'm like, I don't, that, is, that's such a complicated is, question. I know, I know. Is there public art that you remember really liking? I mean, I know you've traveled a lot of places. So do you remember any in Europe? Or did Durham have any? I mean, you live in Spokane. You live in a place that has a lot of public art. I do. I'm, let me look up a couple things. Because okay. I, I know I have an opinion on this. Because a lot of them are like war memorials and stuff. Or is that art? Yes. Or no, no I, think, I think this is a part we should include. Because it's definitely art. I, I think that when, when most people think about public art, they think about exactly that. They think about a very literal, figurative statue that commemorates some kind of hero. A president, a fallen soldier, very occasionally a woman who did something badass. You see a shift in war memorials as public art in the way that I think of art, which is to enhance a space... Um, I'm I'm not really a fan of literal statues. You know, I think Greek statues are great. They're classic. They're fine. Whatever. But when I think of a really good war memorial that's a piece of art, of course, I think of Maya Lin's Vietnam Memorial. (coughs) I was going to agree, but instead I decided to choke on nothing. I noticed, you know. (coughs) Woo! Time for some water. You choked on just how excited you are about that memorial. I think most people know what the Vietnam Memorial is. It's that 250-foot-long wall. It's made of black. Uh, it's a type of basalt, but it's it's like a seven, eight-foot-high wall that's set down into the ground at an obtuse angle, and it contains the 60,000 names of people who died or are MIA in the Vietnam conflict. I think you know what I choked on is how pissed I get whenever I see that and people are using it as a place to uh, have shade and cool down. Mm. Like, yeah, go fuck yourselves. It's not a shade wall. Get out of the way. Okay, I have two answers now, and they're both from Durham. And one is, and this wall is gone now, so I'll share a picture of it. It, but we had our six-month photo shoot back when I was, like, yes. doing the Pinterest mom thing. And it was this old, old wall. And it was this corner that, like, wasn't really a park. Yeah. But I would go hang out there because 
we would have like half an hour to kill. And yeah. I'm like, sure, let's like get some ice cream and go hang out there. And there's this big wall. And it had these two gigantic fish that were <laughs> painted in black and white. And they were probably like 30 feet long. And then behind and around them were these rainbow beams or oh. it's hard to explain but yeah oh. it was just this wall that had been made beautiful with like these black and white fish and these rainbow stabs of color i thought it was very that's cool. really cool okay yeah here we go it's called the green wall fish mural it was a collaboration between matthew curran and Derek tombs and i will post some pictures of it because it's gone now my other favorite public art in durham is the empty plinth where they tore down the confederate statue Oh, good answer. A collaboration between right-thinking people of Durham. <laughs> it needs it needs a little plaque. It really does. Some kind of <laughs> monument to hubris hu- healing a community, you know? Oh my goodness. All right. So anyway, you tell me about some public art. You can't give me a little question like that as a warm up. I don't warm up. I I go to 100. I wanted you to go to 100. And I really like that your favorite pieces of public art are in a place. They're they're small. They're in a community. You didn't pick, you know, the Travy Fountain or whatever. You didn't pick the Eiffel Tower. You picked something that has a lot of significance to you that you interacted with on the daily. And that's... Mm -hmm. A great segue, because something that I've always loved about Spokane, our hometown, is that it has, I think, a really incredible amount and a really diverse array of public art. And some of my favorite pieces of public art are the pieces that I see or saw every day when I was living there, living in Spokane, Washington, these, these small town artists doing cool shit. That makes their city a little bit more interesting, a little bit prettier, a little bit more um, thoughtful. Yes, I think it really contributes to the beauty of downtown that it's not just here's. Um, dang it. Never mind. You know, you keep talking. No, it's all good. It's not just the river, you know? It isn't. It's like there's art here and there. I also have many least favorites, but I think we'll get into that Oh, later. we definitely will. A hundred percent. We're going to get into that because I've, I've definitely got one that I hate in Spokane. Um, Do you have a favorite in Spokane? Mm, no. I have, I have a lot that I like for different reasons. I'll tell you about the one that I like because it... I talk about it later in this story. But you said... Is the garbage goat public art? Yes, the garbage goat is definitely public art. The garbage goat was created by a nun. It was, really? It was built by uh, Sister Paula Turnbull, who's actually done quite a few oh. sculptures in Spokane. That's very cool. It is very cool. You mentioned that, you know, when you go downtown, it's not just the river. And I think what I, I think I'm going to interpret for you here and definitely say my thoughts, but that I assume yours is there's absolutely nothing wrong with green spaces. We need green spaces. We mm-hmm. need wild spaces. But one thing that art can do is amplify a space and it can echo these man-made objects can echo the natural world in such a way that even unconsciously or subconsciously, the viewer makes that connection and it gets them to mm-hmm. think about the natural space deeper. So when you're, 
when you're looking at a mosaic next to a river, oftentimes you're going to find that that mosaic is of waves or it's in a wavy pattern or it's in colors that remind you of the river. It has symbolism. It has figurative Mm -hmm. objects that are referential to that space. And that's what I think good public art does is that it, it's a foil to its space. It complements its space. Yes. Um, it's not really, I mean, why the fuck would you want to pull focus from Mount Rainier? Like it's a gorgeous mm-hmm. thing all on its own. But if you can install some kind of art that makes you go, Oh yeah. Okay. Well now I'm, now I'm looking at the shape Mount Rainier makes, which is actually a very um, specific type of mountain shape. Or I'm looking more at the diversity of flowers because this artwork somehow called out, you know, all the different colors I'm seeing. Like, I think that that is really cool public art. Yeah. You know, one that really does that that I like a lot is um, the place where ghosts of salmon jump. Yes. Tell people about that one because that's an incredible piece of public art in Spokane. Okay. So it's in Spokane. It's overlooking... um, the river mm-hmm. it's by the monroe it's street of, bridge it, yeah it's by the monroe street bridge if you're like coming out of the um river park square parking garage it'll kind yeah. of be on your your right so sherman alexi who's a great poet great writer super funny he was inspired at that place to write this poem called that place where ghosts of salmon jump and it celebrates the falls in the river and it kind of laments what happened to the people who used to be nurtured mm-hmm. by this by this river. And the poem itself is written on this polished granite spiral that's set in concrete right where he was when he was inspired to write it. Mm-hmm. What he says is, the river was the center of our lives, the center of our religion. He's talking about the Spokane tribe. Uh, the center of our religion. So that location there overlooking the river is just where I wanted the poem to be. I looked down at the river and its beauty and also wondered how many inches of mercury lay under the water. The river makes me think of the ghosts of us and the ghosts of the salmon. So he didn't at first apparently like the spiral thing, but he came back a couple years later to see it and he saw a couple reading the poem and he says their movement was a dance. Yes. And the design forces people to dance. Yes. So the true power of it is in watching people reading the poem in that way. Yes. So yeah, that's, that's one I like a lot. And it's not one I actually go by a lot relative to other Mm -hmm. stuff in the area, just Mm because it's kind of, it's not on the way to or from anything for me, but I'm I'm a big fan of that one. And yeah. it's so, like, you couldn't put that anywhere else. It doesn't belong anywhere else in the world except exactly where it is. Yeah. It doesn't go in a museum. Yeah. It doesn't go in Seattle. No. It's right there. That's what we call a site-specific installation. It's ah. it's art that was made with a specific place in mind that does exactly that. Like you said, it doesn't belong anywhere else. It It is about that space, for that space, by that space. And everything that it... Uh, does is is enhancing that space. I I thought that the spiral part was actually really smart. If you just, I mean, you put up words in the correct order on a billboard and people read it and they don't mm-hmm. even, or they, they glance at it and they stop reading it. You flip it upside yeah. down and then people go, oh, wait, there's something different about that. And it makes you read mm-hmm. it. So if you do this yeah. where you put the words in a spiral, you, you have to actually try and to maneuver yeah. through that, which is, I thought that was a really cool engagement part 
of art. Absolutely. Um, it's hard. It can be, I think, hard to make public art that is engaging because people definitely, you put art up on something and they're like, oh, you know, like museums, I can't touch it. And mm-hmm. which is great. Like, yay, preserve the artwork. But that's not always the best way to experience it. And some artwork is really meant to be handled and touched and moved and manipulated like Ghosts of War Salmon Jump. You're meant to stand on it and to, you know, walk this kind of labyrinth spiral path with it. Mm-hmm. That is not something, that's not a kind of art I necessarily think you would find in a lot of small towns. That's another thing I like about Spokane's public art is that I feel a lot of it is fairly modern. It's not that general, you know, atop his horse, does he have one leg raised or two leg raised? And it depends Mm -hmm. on, did he die in battle or did he die afterward of a wound? You know, Uh, it's not just some like homage to dead white guy. Here he is literally him. We have a lot of artwork that's, it's modern art. Mm -hmm. It's, it's of that genre of art, you know, where you're you're challenging the literal figurativism of all other art before 1860. And now you're working within the ideas that were between 1860 and 1970, I think was modern arts. It is modern arts uh, era. And you're, you're playing and you're pushing boundaries and you're experimenting And that's something that abstract expressionism was really known for, was experimenting. And one of the artists in Spokane, Harold Belaze, has left Spokane this beautiful legacy of abstract expressionist artwork in our public spaces. And this episode is unfortunately timely because Harold Belaze passed away December 31st, 2017. We had been talking about doing a program on him for so long, Liz, and I kept putting it Mm -hmm. off and I don't know why I just, I mean, I love art, obviously, but I just didn't want to tackle it for whatever reason. And then he passed away and I feel like, well, shit, I should have celebrated this cool dude while he was alive. Sometimes when we're thinking about topics for these episodes, I've had that happen too, where I'll pick something out. Like I had it all prepped, the Rajneeshi cult out of Oregon. And I mm-hmm. just went, I don't have the hook into this that I want. Okay. I can't tell this story. I can just read these articles. And so maybe that's where you were at. Maybe. Yeah. Something. I don't yeah. know. But I, so I, in this episode, I mean, I've already talked about art, but I want to talk about Harold Belay's specifically as a Spokane artist. And I want to talk about, well, a Pacific Northwest artist. I mean, he's got hundreds of works all across uh, the Pacific Northwest. I mean, collectors from all across the world have collected his pieces, but specifically, you know, he's known for the installations and the sculptures that he did here in the PNW. But then I thought it would be cool just for us to talk a little bit about the other public art that we know about in Spokane or other public art we've seen. But I want to kind of center all this back around Harold Belay's and how when people talk about Spokane sucking, you know, we have that new hashtag Spokane doesn't suck. I think that they are being extremely lazy because there is a lot of really incredible artwork that comes out of Spokane. And there's a lot of really motivated, talented people that choose to live in Spokane. They're not forced to. They don't have to live there. They choose to live in Spokane. And that says something that I think is really important. Like I said, sadly, Harold Belays did pass away 
on December 31st, but I'm really glad that we get to talk about him and his artwork and then artwork in Spokane in general. Uh, he was a man who, I just love it. He and his wife lived out in Mead. That's where his shop was. And he made art okay. every day. He said in any interview that he went out, even if he didn't have like ideas for some grand art piece, you know, that he would make a frame or something like that. He oh, wow. uh, he just wanted to keep making. Or if he couldn't mm-hmm. even make a frame, then he was going to putter around in his studio. But he just had that desire to stay engaged with art and with creating all the time. Um, what kind of art did he make? Harold Belays did everything. He did absolutely everything, Liz. He got his BFA from WSU in Pullman in the uh, 19... What, 40s? His, go Cougs. Go Cougs. I mean, he did screen printing. He did jewelry making. He did metal smithing. He did sculptures in metal. Wow. He did clay work. He did paintings. He did watercolors. He he ran the gamut of it. He uh, grew up in the Depression era working on a farm with, you know, his family farm. And he said that, you know, a lot of, like, his start in tinkering with with pieces for artwork was because on the farm, you know, if it broke, you can't buy a new one. And you're miles away from anyone, so you got to fix it. So he became... That makes sense, yeah. Right? He became super uh, mechanically handy, you know? He became good at fabrication. And he also said he really never said no to a project. When he started doing art, you know, when he started um, making things that people would call art. First of all, he said that he very seldom said it was art. You know, he was making things. He He didn't think it... You know, that art could kind of box it into something that was snobby or that was elitist or something like that. And he's just like, well, no, if I'm going to make a necklace, I'm not going to say I'm making art. I'm going to say I'm making a necklace. If I'm making a painting, I'm not going to say I'm making art. I'm going to say I'm doing a painting. I'm sorry for being a goldfish. What'd you say his degree was in again? It's a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Okay. Yeah. You have that. I have that. And I did not do as much with my BFA as Harold Belates did with his. Let me tell you. Well, you're a little younger than him, too. I'm a little bit younger. I might not be as motivated. But he also attributes a lot of his success. He he spoke in a class of mine once during my BFA, and I'm so oh sorry. Oh, my gosh, you've seen him. Well, okay. I don't remember a damn thing, Liz. I just know that okay. he spoke to us, and I, I feel bad about that. But from everything I'm, I've read and from all of the art friends I've talked to about him, he was a very humble man. He said that a lot of his success as, you know, his commercial success, if you would call it that, because he was very mm-hmm. prolific, but his, his commercial success as an artist owed to being at the right place at the right time. He went skiing in Colorado in the 1950s with some architecture friends, and they were building buildings, and they were like, hey, Harold... You want to make some art for this building that we're building? And, you know, he just kind of built up a clientele that way. His first piece of public art was in 1951, or his first piece of commissioned art, excuse me. It was for the Ridpath Hotel, which Spokane's now trying to revitalize. I think that project is still going. It's Um, almost ready to be rented out as apartments, actually. If I still lived in Spokane, I'd be the first on that list. I think packing in people in downtown... That's how you do it. Urban density, man. That's what's going to revitalize downtown. But and they, <laughs> they closed it in 2008, right? 
and they were like selling off all the stuff. Well, because I think I actually furnished my first apartment with leftover Ridpath stuff. You did. You had some chairs, uh, some yeah, wooden chairs, some art. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, I feel like it had been closed. I mean, I know they had conventions there, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they were still renting out the hotel rooms or what for a while. Hmm. But yeah, in in two thousand eight, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Man, I remember that. That's so funny. We actually went to go look for more um, furniture after you went. That's mm-hmm. right. Aaron and I went and they had everything kind of had that like tacky fake oriental flair that was left. It totally did. Yeah. It, the pictures I got were very like, you know, gentle dove in <laughs> cherry tree. Yes. I don't still have them. Yes. The price was right. <laughs> the price was right, my friend. Oh, man. Well, that's, I mean, you got your start for apartments at the Ridpath. Harold Belay's got his start commissioned artwork at the Ridpath. How perfect is that? I'm basically Mrs. Harold Belay's. Well, his wife of, like, what, 60 years might fight you on that one. Um, <laughs> she's a very lovely woman. Um, but you could you could be the, the Lady Harold Belay's. That's totally fine. <laughs> Like I said, he started doing that commissioned, uh, being a commissioned artist, and said he owed his success to Right Place at the Right Time. He also said he owed his success to his wife being the financial breadwinner for their family for a very long time Mm. so that he could focus on making art. And uh, he said uh, he first, in an interview, he said he first felt successful as an artist, uh, you know, when people were like, when did you really feel like you had made it as an artist? And he had said when they cleared $100,000 one year and had to file taxes on it or something like that. You know, it was like a very sweet, small milestone. He was not raking in money hand over fist as an artist. $100,000? Yeah. And, you know, for a year's salary, that's amazing in Spokane and for an artist. But it's not... Yeah. It's not Dale Chihuly money. It's not Cristo money. It's not... I see. Okay. It's not... Yeah. Showing it the Met I gotta money. say, good for you, by the way, sir, for just being like, yes, my wife supported me, so I could do the thing. Oh, yeah. And I'm very happy with that. And yep. it worked out very well. Yep. He was very, did not bother him a bit that their gender roles, the traditional gender roles for the, you know, 50s had swapped. Um, he was cool with it. They had two kids. They put the kiddos through college on his art money, which he was also very proud of. He said it was, again, right place, right time, because in the 1960s, Washington State was one of the first states to have a public arts commission. Mm. So one of the first states where you actually have a governed body saying, okay, art in public places is important. It's required now in building permits. And he was able to get in on that. So I know there's a thing with all the university buildings that whenever we build one we have to set aside one half of a percent that goes to the public art and that's why like the campus has all those different you know light reading and i don't know what the flintstone bowling balls are actually called and that all kinds of cool stuff is that every public building or is that just university uh it's public building state buildings you have to set it for that's very cool uh, as far as i remember from school it's new construction public buildings so you know there's plenty of old buildings that get revitalized or re whatever Mm -hmm. that i don't think 
fall under that. Like I said, if I remember from my BFA, which I graduated from in 2008, so it's been a while, Mm -hmm. and maybe laws have changed. But I really love that. I think that's so cool that that's part of state buildings that you have to set aside certain funds and they go toward public art. They go toward beautifying the space. Harold did it all, man. He did private collectors. He would do, you know, out of metal, if you wanted to have your house numbers, your address numbers, he would take that as a commission. You know, he'd make those oh, out of metal. he's not too fancy. He was not too fancy, dude. He said he did it all. He didn't think anything was beneath him. He took projects that other artists maybe turned down because they didn't think it was real art. And he was just like, dude, I am making stuff. And that is fucking cool. (laughs) He just liked that. He just liked that. He described himself as a secular humanist, but he's actually known as one of the premier liturgical artists in America. Because... A liturgical artist being somebody who makes art for the church. Exactly. Yeah. He has artwork in over 200 churches and synagogues in the Pacific Northwest. I've heard a rumor about that, but I'll let you tell me more. Oh, well, that's about all I know. What else do you know about that specifically? I've heard a rumor that in Sacred Heart Hospital, there is a very tall statue of a sister, a nun, that he made, and that he put his face on it. (gasps) What? I had but not you can't really that. see because it's so tall. And Sacred Heart is such a maze that when I've been there, I've never like gotten around to to trying to investigate this. But okay, I I never let it be said. I let a rumor that I heard go untold on this show. Absolutely, Liz. You just flap those lips. Gossipy gossip gossip. Okay, well, I have a whole bunch of nurse friends. So come on, BSNs that have worked at Sacred Heart, get on this for us. Like mm-hmm. you're our boots Zoom on the ground. Phone. Yep. Figure it out Not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I didn't know that, but that's works for me, dude. I don't know that he, he well, he, he liked to confuse people. That's something he said specifically mm-hmm. when people talked about why did you name uh, I have a I have a direct quote from him that I'm having a hard time finding right now, but it was the gist of it was, you know, why did you name this reflection or why did you name that? River's Edge, and his quote was, they're nonsense, I just like to confuse people. Awesome. He was a very playful man. Um, and I love it. You see that playfulness, I think, a lot. Uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about some of the specific works that he did downtown, mm-hmm. and then you'll immediately know why I say he's playful. Um, playful. If you've been downtown yes. in Spokane, you have seen his stuff. Yes. And he's also a person, and I think it's because he was, you know, alive until very recently, that odds are pretty good. I found if you talk about him or talk about his stuff, people often have a story about him yes. or like a, a personal connection about a piece of his that they're like, oh, did you know? And that's like how I heard about the Sacred Heart thing, or did you know about this thing yes. and the lantern and da 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 da. So yeah, talk about some of yes. his stuff. Well, you just mentioned one that I was going to talk about it's the lantern it doesn't technically have a title but it goes also by i mean it's untitled but it's kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for the layman's title or whatever for it is lantern i just go based on what pokemon go tells me (laughs) (laughs) i love that that's a pokestop is it a gym too it, it's a gym now ever since they expanded a lot of gyms although i haven't been playing a lot because it's so fucking cold and 
snowy out. It's but. cold and I got bored with it. Liz, I stopped on January 1st. This might be the year of no Pokemon Go for me. So I'll probably get back into it when it's nicer. Yeah. Just because the loop that I walk when it's nice out is so friendly to it. Yes, but, and you gotta yeah, hatch your one eggs. of those things that... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I ebb and flow. I am like the tides with my interest in Pokemon Go. You... And I can't be tamed. <laughs> and you're wild. And you're a force of nature. And I throw dead fish onto the beach. And you smell sometimes. Mm-hmm. Kind of weird. A little bit salty. Yeah. I obey the moon. <laughs> and your story holds up. And you're full of sharks. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I am full of sharks. You really are. I don't know how to segue back into Lantern, so I'm just going to go for it. Uh, yeah, Lantern. Lantern, if you've... Been in Spokane, you've seen it. It's the kind of two-story tall, four-sided pillar behind the Opera House because I refuse to call it the IMB Performing Arts Center because it's a bullshit name. Okay. Lantern is the... How do I describe it? It's not a relief carving. There's, There's negative space that have been cut out of each of these four sides of the pillar. And they're in these beautiful uh, hard edge abstract geometric shapes. So you can see through. I mean, if you think of like a lantern that has pierced holes all through it so that light could emit, same thing with this. But the, the shapes are just these bizarre, really cool, like I said, abstract geometric shapes uh, this is one where the show notes and even just, like, the release on social media should probably have a lot of pictures. It has so many pictures that I can perf- uh, provide for this. It's amazing. It's a really cool piece of artwork. This is one of my favorites in Spokane. I don't love the location of it. And that mm-hmm. is because I think as a lantern, it could definitely be... I don't want it on top of a hill. I don't think it needs to be, like, approached as this standing stone on the top of a sacred hill and it lines up with the solstice, even though I fucking love it when that shit happens. Um, But I do wish that it had more space around it on all sides Mm -hmm. so that you could approach it better. It's kind of, as you come up a pathway, it's looming above you, and you can only really get to it on one or two sides and yeah, it's kind of tucked back in there. Yeah, it's tucked back in there. It doesn't really have any great backdrop, no matter what angle you're looking through. There's one that's iconic that, of course, when I was in photography school, I took a picture of our clock tower through the cutouts. And oh, you're so artsy. I was so artsy, and it was on black and white film. And then fucking everybody has taken that photo before and after. So I am not at all the first. I'm not revolutionary. (laughs) I don't condone this because you're probably trespassing and it is dangerous. But Mm -hmm. the cool list probably thing about Lantern is that if you climb to the top of it, embedded in the top of this concrete is Harold Blaze's motto, which is transcend the bullshit. The motto and also my New Year's resolution. It's kind of like everything Liz is Plus the ocean, because I think the ocean transcends the bullshit as well. Possibly my next tattoo also. Did he design the the circular image of it that kind of makes transcend the bullshit look like it's a cool, like, Hindi script? I love that. Does it kind of remind you of the 1960s? It should kind of remind you of the 1960s because he printed that as a poster. He did screen prints of that in the 1960s. 
And then, to be honest, it kind of reminded me of the 1990s when the 60s had a revival, oh. and we all had like the the tote bag or the wall oh, hanging that had like that one yes symbol. It on. looks like that. Yeah, it's like a, a a backwards three with a squiggle and then a thing mm-hmm. above it, and it's like the Ulm symbol or whatever. It's on. You know exactly yeah, what I'm yeah, talking about. It's on all the. I had a transcend. Uh, transcend the bullshit mug mm-hmm. that I brought all the way to Durham, and somebody either broke and disposed of it or stole it. And I bet they stole I've it. Since forgiven them for my karma, but I also have uh, transcend the bullshit on my car. If you ever yes. are like, am I? Who, who's this person who's driving so poorly, even though she's not on her phone? Mm-hmm. And you say, man, they have a lot of Ouija broad stickers mm-hmm. and Sasquatch stickers, and also transcend the bullshit. That's me. Mm-hmm. That's that's a Broadmobile yeah. Spokane edition. Yeah, you found her. Go found go me. say hi to her. I'm doing my best. She sometimes has candy in her pockets. <laughs> just be nice. To uh, her. No, in general, we just have a lot of broken crayons and children's toys. She sometimes has people. crayons in her pockets. Go be nice to her. Yes. She'll give you one. Exactly. Uh, the Pied Piper of crayons. But yeah, transcend the bullshit. So it's in the lantern? It's in the lantern. It's I can send you a picture of it, or you can Google one now while I'm talking to you. But uh, it's it's just set into, you know, like a wax stamp kind of thing, if I recall. I never climbed up to the top. I am way too worried about the law. I don't want to get in trouble with the man, and I was worried that I'd get a trespassing charge if I climbed up there in art I'm worried school. about breaking my fucking ankles when I climb Ah, oh, fuck, I am now. Because this thing, like I said, it's like two stories. It's quite a climb, but it was kind of a Spokane rite of passage. Kind of still this is. this thing I found says it's actually three stories. <gasps> I was trying not to exaggerate for once. And that motherfucker is 30 feet tall. I'm not surprised. It's a really cool piece of art. It's got that transcend the bullshit at the top. I love it. That was a phrase, transcend the bullshit, actually came from one of Ken Kesey's, Ken Kesey's novels. He's the guy that did... Casey, yeah. Yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, Mm -hmm. Electric Kool-Aid Acid There you go. I think that's the one it's from. about all how how much he wants to... Wait, who wrote that? Tom Wolfe wrote that. No, the Kool-Aid Acid Test I thought was a Ken Kesey. I think it's a... About him. Oh, Let's find out. is it about, about him? Okay. Whoa, I'm typing like a pro today. Well, look at that footage. Did you have the acid Kool Aid? Because that's what you're typing, oh. Link. Yeah. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I moved my thumb to like say, yes, that's the autocomplete I want. And then it changed right as I was moving. And so I clicked Mitsubishi Electric Koala. <laughs> Okay, apparently it is a Japanese basketball team. <laughs> Mitsubishi Electric Claws. Oh, stop it! Stop it! This is when white people get kanji tattooed on them, and it means, like, Seriously. hot dog water. <laughs> hot dog water. Yes. Okay, now, Electric Kool-Aid Acid, acid Test is by Tom Wolfe about the pranksters and how they meet the Grateful Dead and Allen Ginsberg and Timothy Leary. Okay. And mostly what I remember is there's a character in it, and I can't remember what that person's name is, but it's really obvious how hard Tom Wolfe wants to fuck them. Oh, gotcha. Like, it's just so loving toward his pants and oh. how he wears them. He wears and those pants real just, good. Like... That's literally all I remember from reading that book. That's so funny. I love it. Okay, well, mm-hmm. 
Would you ever do acid? Uh, I, I read, I know nothing about drugs, people. You might not know this about me. But I read that it's actually, the acid was like a finite supply. And so the stuff that you could get in the 70s is very difficult to get a hold of now. And that the stuff that you can get a hold of now is not good. So if that is true, if true, we're doing an if-then statement. If that is true, then in a controlled situation, I would try acid, provided that I knew it wasn't like, I don't know, laced with whatever. Or don't they lace acid with shit or something? I don't, I, like I said, I don't know shit about drugs. But if I could, if I somehow knew that it was real acid and I could be mm-hmm. in a controlled closed environment with loved ones i probably would because interesting because i don't think that like not in a i want to do drugs way just in is like the older i get the more i'm kind of like yeah let's do some experiences like i don't think doing acid one time is going to addict me or kill me i think i might have a really bad trip and then i'll never do it again i don't think you can get addicted to acid right i don't know you can get it unless you're like Ram Dass or Timothy Leary or something, and you're like, "This is the only way I can experience the world." I, the way I think I need to experience yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, you're a Hunter S. Thompson type person, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Would you ever try it, Liz? Have you tried it? <gasps> I have not tried acid. I've never done hallucinogens. You've never done mushrooms. I have really. Mm-mm. Neither. Have you done mushrooms? No. no. I have very mixed feelings about hallucinogens because I know people who are in my family who have had really bad experiences. And I also know that it takes one to four prescription medications to keep my brain on track. Yeah. So I'm wary about putting more chemicals in the mix on that. That's a good point. But in the hypothetical where it was like, yes, you have a reasonable expectation that this isn't going to fuck you up too bad. I would totally like do acid and go wander around Manito or like do, do shrooms or something yeah well you said in a seance that we did that shrooms and the rhododendron garden seem to be the thing to do and i'm like okay well that like if shrooms are just amplifying my senses fuck yeah put me Mm -hmm. in a blooming garden that sounds pretty amazing but if it's oh i was gonna say if it's the bad trip that someone very close to me described and you know Mm -hmm. there's dead bodies and melting things i don't care where i am i'm not gonna like it yeah yeah, that's just it, is because what they say is like, you know, and we're, we're like two virgins talking about sex oh, totally. right now. Yeah. Like, I hear the breast feels like sand. But <laughs> it's like a bag of sand. What I have heard is that you can kind of get in bad loops. And my brain, I spend a tremendous amount of my time and energy keeping it away from bad loops without chemical enhancement. Mm, yep. So I don't trust my brain, you know? Yep, that's fair enough. I'm like, I can have an out-of-body experience without help, so I don't mm-hmm. really know that I need mm-hmm. some chemicals. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where I, I I totally would be like, can I dip my toe in? Can I microdose this? Yes. Like all the techies are doing out in Silicon oh, Valley. Oh my god, you'd be like Brett Jermaine Clements. I'll just have half of his half of that half. <laughs> and then they eat the wrong thing and oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so funny. Oh, goodness. What the fuck were we talking about? Oh, Ken Casey. Ken Casey. Apparently we're on drugs. I can't talk. 
lantern Kaisei. drugs Ken and transcend drugs. the so trans Kai and my pa and ma so trans <laughs> no one's gonna want to listen to this shit christ almighty <laughs> Uh, no, no, don't you know when we get really the fuck off track, we give it to the people who specifically paid to listen to this. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, if you think this is off track, then <laughs> don't give us money and become a patron because those poor souls have to put up with a lot of weird shit in seances. <laughs> However. Oh, I'm almost out of stickers, by the way. I can send you more stickers. While we're talking stickers, while I have you as a captive audience, everyone, we came up with a society six. Society sex shop. A society sex shop. There's sex Ooh. for the society at this shop that we created. Um, Live weird, die weird, fuck weird. Fuck weird. You can get stickers. If <laughs> Liz is having a meltdown, but I will tell you, you can get stickers from this society sex shop. And the stickers, they're not the ones you've seen before with our motto or our Sasquatch. They're stickers of badass cryptids. Or, well, I mean, they're not badass. They're actually really adorable. Or it's, there are, they're little sweetie things. Or there's a a Ouija board stickers with our motto. We only get 10 cents profit off of every sticker. So this isn't a money grab for me. This is just me wanting you to know about stickers that you can get that are really cool. Um, I just think you should have some stickers. You know what the dream would be? Funko Pop. (gasps) Ouija Broads edition. Oh, we could design a ghost, and we could design a Bigfoot, and we could design... I don't want to design me, but we could design D.V. Cooper, and... Mm, <gasps> Ooh. Stagecoach Mary Funko Pop. Are you fucking serious? That'd be amazing. Yes. Harold Blaze was really fucking cool. He had art that obviously extended beyond Lantern. I told you he was in over 200 uh, religious houses. I mean, he he had giant enamels that he did at the kingdom or did for the kingdom when it was the kingdom. Now it's Safeco Field and those enamels got moved to the county commissioner's office or some other place, the King County Admin Building in Seattle. There we go. What are what are enamels in this context? Uh they are enameling is the process of applying a colorant to metal. So I haven't oh, seen okay. these, but you know, it's like like cloisonne jewelry, but big. Fucking okay. big. So he did these and he he joked about how uh it actually costs the city more to move these enameled pieces of artwork from the stadium to the building than he got paid for them. Oh jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So like I I told you earlier, like he was not cash grabbing. He wasn't out to make mm-hmm. bank. He he had a really hard time pricing his artwork. Um, he just said he, you know, quoted people what he thought was fair, and then they told him that he wasn't charging enough, but he felt like it was a good price for it. Um, That's a really hard thing to respond to, though, when people are like, you should charge more. You're like, and when I get fewer people spending that, yeah. what are what's your role? Yeah, when are right? you going to come back? Right. And like, are, are, are you also telling these people they should spend more on me? Yeah. Yeah, I should. That's the other half of this ecosystem. (laughs) Right? Um, I want to charge a lot of money because I value art and I don't want to devalue my fellow artists. However, I also want to sell a fucking print. Mm Mm-hmm. So, fine, weird line. That's why a lot of the artists I've talked to hire that shit out. They get someone else to set their prices for them based on I wonder if Forrest Fenn has any of his stuff. Who's Forrest Fenn? 
We talked the about him. guy. Oh, that's right. That's right. I don't know. I mean, Harold Belays is the, technically the mugs uh, from Boo Radley's that Andy has made and sells at Boo Radley's. I mean, they're, he did that with Harold Belays' permission and gave Harold a cut of every cell. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, there's there's ways to have a piece of Harold Belay's artwork, I guess, um, mm-hmm. that aren't going to break the bank. You buy a $15 coffee mug. You buy a $2 mm-hmm. button. That's the one that I have yeah. from Boo Radley's. You sticker. can, or a sticker, or, I mean, he did sell screen prints of, of Transcend the Bullshit, mm-hmm. uh, which even $100 is a phenomenal price for a, a large poster-sized screen print. Uh, let's talk more about Harold's work, because if you, yes. if you once you see a piece of his um, that is in that abstract expressionist style, then you see his pieces elsewhere. He's got this piece called Canoe on the LC campus. He has, uh, I forget what it's called, but it doesn't matter anyway, because he said the titles were made up. It's the piece of artwork that's actually in the middle of the river. In the middle of Spokane yes, River. Yes, I know the one you're talking yeah. about. I think it's like Reflections. Or there something. you go. I think that's it. Um, if you don't know the lantern, but you're in Spokane, then you definitely know the new fountain that was put in downtown. That's a Harold Blaze. Mm. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. The design is great because it echoes a whole lot of other things that you're going to find in downtown Spokane. And he actually said that that was probably his favorite piece that he'd done in in public was that fountain because he said he really enjoyed the interaction uh that occurred because of it you know it's a it's a fountain but it's not a static look at it you are looking at this merman surrounded by concrete it is a big like four-sided arch kind of complex that you walk through and water can jet down on you from above or come up from underneath yeah and the summer is just a 24-7 kids sprinting through it. Oh my yeah. gosh. Super cool. Um, but then he also, I mean, there's, you wouldn't know it was his, but down across the street from the Spokesman Review building, there are, it's a, I don't want to say it's a mosaic, because it, I mean, it looks like mosaic. The tiles, though? Yeah, but they're tiles, thank yeah. you. And they're, um, they're decorated with birds. And so they, they don't look like what you think of when you think of Harold Belize's sculptures, uh, because they're very li- literal, figurative birds. They look like fucking birds. Yeah, I never knew birds. that was his until he died. But that's his. But he's just, I mean, he's all over the place. Like I said, super cool guy, really humble. And when I was reading about him, I really got a good sense of of how much I, I wish that I knew him when he was alive, because in one of his articles in one of his in a 2011 interview he was asked i guess i was going to talk to you about abstract expressionism with this quote uh which was people always want his forms to mean something and that's fine like humans are meaning makers but they they want his forms to be representative and i really always feel like abstract expressionism is more of a rorschach test it's art that's trying to provoke Mm. something in you you know so, like, what do you think it means? What does it look like to you? What does it bring up to you? And as long as you're having, as long as a dialogue or a conversation or even a monologue, I guess, with yourself was provoked from that artwork, then it was effective artwork. And he says that about his sculptures. You know, when he was asked to explain what his shapes are, or what they mean, he said, I'm not concerned with what people call it as long as it provokes wonder. And he added, what artists make isn't important, but they need 
to decorate the world and cause surprise. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? The element of surprise. The element of surprise. He had another quote that I was trying to come up with for you. And that was on art in Spokane and artists in Spokane specifically. And this was like what I said when I was saying I, I really appreciate Spokane as a place for artists. And I feel like if you, I feel like saying Spokane sucks is really lazy because I think you can find that wonder and that surprise and all these good things about Spokane. And and he was asked in another interview uh, to talk about the Spokane art scene and, and, you know, well, Harold, if you had moved to New York, you could have made millions. Why did you stick around in little pokey old Spokane? And he said, It never occurred to me otherwise than to bloom where I was planted. There was a newspaper column question of the day, and that asked, What makes Spokane, Spokane? I wrote them that there's a raft of people who are outstanding artists and musicians and architects who live in this community, and it's a special group. Mm, I think the ability to bloom where you're planted is hugely underrated. Mm -hmm, Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Just a fantastic guy. And he had a lot of love and and reverence, it seems like, for the other artists that he was living and working near, which is a pretty good segue to talk about a couple other pieces of Spokane public art. You know, we've got the Red Wagon in River Park Square. It's actually, its name, Liz, is the Childhood Express. Okay. And I think that's kind of a kitschy title, but Ken Spearing, the artist that made it, is a cool guy, and so I'm going to forgive it. And okay. it's, if you haven't seen it, guys, it's a recreated radio flyer red wagon, but it is like 17 feet tall. And yeah, it's so big that like the wheels are as tall as a person. Oh, yeah. And the handle is a slide. It's a slide. So it's a great place. You can go up the red wagon through a ladder. There's monkey bars underneath. And then once you're up the red wagon, you go down the handle on a slide. We've got the garbage goat. You brought up the garbage goat. Absolutely. Garbage goat is public art. It was created for Expo 74. That just made Expo 74 made the city decide that they needed a shit ton of artwork. And it was one of the cool things that mm. that stuck around. I've talked a lot and I know, you know, the garbage goat. So, Liz, what is garbage goat? The garbage goat is a magical creature <laughs> made of iron, I think. Yeah, some kind of metal. It- yeah, it's some kind of metal, and it's sort of up a little bit of a hill, and it's surrounded by columnar basalt. And there, <laughs> yeah, see, coming correct with my knowledge today. I am turned and- on. <laughs> There's a button uh, that you can push, just like I pushed Evan's buttons, mm-hmm. and. There's a button that you push, and then the garbage goat's mouth becomes a powerful vacuum. Much like and Devin's. So, much like Devin's, when you push your buttons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can put any garbage that you've got into the goat's mouth, and it gets up in there. Yep. And I don't know what happens after that to it. Yep. Presumably it goes someplace and gets thrown away. Yep, it goes into a, uh, a little dumpster holding chamber. Where it gets emptied. That's adorable. That garbage goat was created by Sister Paula Turnbull, who is a nun who makes a shit ton of art, a lot of iron, a lot of metal sculptures, but you see them around as well. I'm trying to think of one specifically. I don't know where it is, but she made a nun out of almost like rebar. So it's like made out of all these these funky looking metal pipes, metal tubes. 
Is she the one that made the, there's a, like a mountain goat that's sort of overlooking the river? Oh, and it's got those, those horns that are made out of rebar. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I would guess. Um, What's her name again? Sister Paula, Paula Turnbull. She got in some, I mean, she likes goats. She got in some hot water with the Dairy Goat Association of America when Expo 74 <laughs> shown. Oh, like, you don't want to fuck with them. You don't want to fuck with them. Uh, they are bad. And they will come after <laughs> you with their billy clubs and uh, try to get your goat. They were all like, "Oh my god, you're amazing!" <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm turned on, and it just kind of it flows a little more freely, you know, um, <laughs> when I'm amorous. But they were really pissed off that she depicted a goat eating trash because they're like, "Um, excuse us, our dairy goats do not like trash. They do not eat trash. There is no trash in your milk." And her response was. Yeah, but I didn't make a dairy goat. It's a billy goat. It just, oh, like, shut him down. Good job, sister. That was definitely, like, a cartoon trope that I absorbed, which is goats uh-huh. can eat everything. Which is not true. They just will put everything in their mouth oh, to see. Oh, they're like toddlers. Or my parents' Labrador. Yeah. Oh, she did the um, the statue of Anna Stratton Brown in Brown's edition, like the woman in the old time outfit who's holding the hand. Did she? Oh, wow. I don't yeah. like that statue, but good job, sister, for making it. <laughs> good job. Um, Brown's edition has a lot of murals as well. Um, mm-hmm. Murals are another big artwork you see in Spokane. You definitely, unfortunately, see them a lot under, uh, like, overpasses, which is kind of a bummer because there's mm-hmm. no good light to actually see the artwork yeah but the idea is that it's a graffiti deterrent um and it beautifies a pretty grungy little space so i'm all about that yeah i actually partook do you remember when i painted helped to paint one of those underpasses yeah they had a they had a project where they were calling all artists and you could go and you could paint a little like 18 inch by 18 inch square or whatever and my partner at the time, what's up, Erin? I'm going to shout out to you. She was being a butthead that day. And I was painting a very nice portrait of her. And because she was a bummer, I painted it frowning. So now Erin <laughs> is immortalized under an overpass grumpy. Oh my God. That was a healthy way to handle that relationship, wasn't it? Sorry, Erin. <laughs> I'm not sorry. She didn't care at the time. We're fine. We're good. We also have uh, probably one of the bigger named Spokane, bigger named pieces of art Spokane has is the Chihuly, I forget what it's called, but it's the Dale Chihuly glass uh, chandelier sculpture at the John Art Museum. Have you seen that one? John, oh, um, no, I don't think so. I'm honestly not a huge Chihuly I'm fan. I'm not a huge Chihuly fan either. When I saw his work... In his museum in Seattle, I definitely think it's beautiful. I mean, it's blown glass, and what he's doing with glass is is what's so impressive. Is you know he's using this delicate medium to create these huge, massive sculptures that have a lot of weight and a lot of presence, mm-hmm. and I think that's impressive. I have heard totally different things about him. One group of people says he's the biggest asshole in the world. And he's just, like, awful to work for and with. And then the other half is like, no, he's a super sweet guy. And he, like, maybe hams it up for the cameras because he's kind of a showman. But otherwise, he's a really cool dude. 
And we don't know what those people that say he's a jerk are talking about. Hmm. So why why don't... Yeah, the thing with his stuff, like, I don't dislike it, like, that I think it's not good. It's just not the kind of thing that I'm like, I'm going to go out of my way to see it. Honestly, I feel the same way about Van Gogh. Like... I understand absolutely mm-hmm. everything, I think, about why... Well, I don't know. No, I know what you mean, though. About anything. But, you know, I get why people yeah. like him, and I get why he's important, but yeah. I'm, I'm never like, I want to go see that stuff. Interesting. I also okay. saw, a while ago, a house that was for sale on... I don't know what it was, because it's not in the area, but it was, like, the biggest, tackiest, beige McMansion. Mm-hmm. Except they had, like four or five pieces of either Chihuly or knockoff Chihuly. And when you combined that with sort of the, like, um, what was that wood that was, like, the most 90s? Like, everything was pine. The kind of blonde oak. oak And, like, beige beige carpets, beige floors, bland walls, and then this Chihuly just looking like fucking Cthulhu (laughs) was coming through from another dimension to devour a regional accounts manager. It was so jarring. That's where all their money went, dude. Because his shit's expensive. But Chihuly's definitely internationally collected, and the fact that the junt has a piece is uh, cool. He was born in Tacoma, you know, so so you find his stuff all, all over Washington. Um, it is definitely his his forms are very Chihuly or uh, very Cthulhu esque Cthulhu Chihuly mm-hmm. like I'm sensing a pattern here. Um, but, yeah, right. And then I think another one that's really well known in Spokane is is you asked me for my least favorite work of art in Spokane, and it's those fucking runners. Mm-hmm. It's the fucking runners, man. You don't like I the don't Bloomsday like the runners? runners. I have really good memories of them because when mom would take Ian and I downtown. Um, you know, she'd like, we'd pose with them and we'd laugh about it. And Peter would touch the, the butts of the Bloomsday runners. And I always thought it was kind of funny, you know, when people like dress them up, they'll put a bunch of Bloomsday shirts on them or hats or Mardi Gras beads or whatever. But I've never. They've got scarves right now. Yeah, I can imagine that. The Bloomsday runners, if you haven't seen them, they're kind of abstracted human forms that are running. Oh, and the Bloomsday Runners is actually called The Joy of Running Together. And it's 40 figures that are running in this, uh, on a path that commemorate Bloomsday, which is the largest uh, timed road race in America, I believe, or at least it used to be. Some years they've had, what, 70,000 participants? Um, That was their It's it's hard to exaggerate. It's hard to overestimate how big a deal it is. Just humongous, y'all. But these runners, I just, I don't, I think they're ugly. They're this, they're they're a turd color. They're made out of unhappy metal that looks all rusty and gross. And the way they're created is very, they're like these flat shapes. They look like, they look like a muscular diorama. They're like flayed. They're like people have been skinned. You know, the guys are like these flat things with these pectoral muscles and the glutes are made out of like those, like when you have to construct a three-dimensional shape out of cardboard where shit slots into other shit. And they just, they've got, you can tell they've got 80s hair. Every last fucking one of them has a mullet. They're just stupid, Liz. I don't like them. And the dude that made them, maybe he's a nice guy, but he was really rude to me once at a party. And Oh my goodness. Okay, so, say no fucking more. Yeah, so Dave Grovedare is the guy who made him. He also made Grandfather Let Loose the Ponies, the the horses that look exactly like the runners. Oh, that's why you don't like that. Fuck 
fucking hell. He did not give two shits about me and refused to shake my hand at a party. So he can just take my angst all these years later. Um, I'm Maybe he's a very nice guy. Maybe I'm lambasting a guy for having a bad day. But I don't like those figures. I don't like dude guy. Ugh, why do you like them? They're gross. They're gross, Liz. Because I'm... Why do I like the runners or why do I like grandfather? No, why do you like the, the runners? <sighs> I don't know. They're just very Spokane mm-hmm. to me. And especially before we got the ice ribbon, they were dressing up a corner of the park that was really underused yes. and not very interesting. It did give people a reason to go there. I mean, like, I get it. They're kind of on this curve, which kind of echoes the curve of the river. And it's flowing people, which is like flowing water. And we're all coming together and whatever. But they're fucking... And anatomical models made out of the worst color imaginable. They're, they they look like like muscle dioramas made out of poop. <laughs> and they're right across from they're the curse right corner. across from the curse corner. They all have 1990s Mel Gibson hair, and the the boobs are weird. Like I get that you kind of, you, but you didn't have to make them. You didn't have to give them genders. Like, I don't get it. And all the boobs on all of them are shiny because that's what people do is they see boobs or butt statues and they rub them. So then you've got these weird little headlights coming at you on Mm -hmm. all these statues. I don't like them. Man, the headlights are built in. Like, I don't care what time of year it is. It's always cold for those ladies. It is always winter. It is always cold in Siberia for those women. Yeah, I'm not. Don't like it. Don't like it. There we go. We're going to end on a rant because I lost my taste. Oh, no, I haven't ranted yet. (laughs) What do you want to rant about? Would you like to hear my least favorite part? My least favorite public art in downtown Spokane? Let me see if I can guess it. It's in downtown Spokane. It's the blocks. It's the awful blocks. I hate the blocks. No. Um, Give me a hint. It's representational. Mm. It's the astronaut sculpture. It's the yes, it is. astronaut sculpture. I hate it. <laughs> I changed astronaut my sculpture. answer. <laughs> okay. <Poor laughs> so you knew. You knew what I was going to say. Oh, that oh, poor God. man. Okay, so once upon a time, there was a man from Spokane named Michael Philip Anderson. And I have nothing but respect for him. Air Force officer, Mm -hmm. NASA astronaut, killed during the space shuttle Columbia disaster. Extremely sad. Um, However, and my friend, if you are the person who made this statue, I am sorry for hating on your statue. But it is... Okay, it's by Dorothy Fowler. I don't know who that is. I'm sorry, Dorothy. It's just simply not my cup of tea because he's wearing his spacesuit, but his helmet is off. And for some reason, he has a dove and he's releasing the dove to the icy grip of space. Yeah. It and is, it's just very it so action figure It's saccharine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only good thing about that statue is that one time I was at Lilac City Comic Con, I think, and yeah. I was taking my daughter on a break. I was Anna. She was Elsa. She needed a break from the overstimulation of karaoke. Yes. And we were there and she was asking questions about the statue and something went horribly wrong. And she reached the conclusion that this was an actual astronaut that we had bronzed in the manner of baby <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Like, that's what you do to an astronaut when they come back from their mission. <laughs> you should dip them, 
and pose them and put them up on a pedestal. <laughs> That's the only happy memory I have about that statue. Simply mm. not my cup of tea. I'm sorry, Mike Anderson. I'm sorry, Dorothy Fowler. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just in a, a place that is so... There's so much that's abstract and surreal, and this is just so on the nose in smiley and precious moments and hallmarky <laughs> that I cannot feel it. <laughs> well, you know what you're gonna hate even more is that's that's not the only that's not the only statue. This is not the only one. Of, yeah, there's a little model of it in Mobius Science Museum, too, <laughs> just to bother is. me more. I turn to the right, and there's a little model of that. I turn to the left, there's Kirtland fucking Cutter to the left. In the building where they used to charge the hell trolley. There's a lot going on for me every time I go there. Yeah, yeah, but the <laughs> there's a duplicate full-size statue of him at the Museum of Flight in Seattle. Are you shitting me? No, no, so Dorothy Fowler got it. Two times in Spokane, one time in Seattle, and the poor guy has to be known as this, just like you said, precious moments, saccharine, trite piece of motel art. Yes. It's so bad, guys. Don't care for it. <laughs> We're hating. We're being haters right now. Whatever. It's bad art. <sighs> you wanted to hear what we loved, you also get to hear what we hated. Oh, Duh. man. Yeah. Are, are we done? We're done. <laughs> Is We're... that what we have to say? <laughs> we hated enough yet? <laughs> I think so. I think so, my friends. I'm going to get us out of here so that you can go check out some public art. I would love to know what your favorite art is, of course, because I'm always interested in finding new art. And then I'll, you know, mm -hmm. tell you about other art that I hate. I'm sure there's lots of it. Like <laughs> Piss Christ. We could talk about that one. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you want to listen to more of what we hate, again, you know that you can find us on Podbean. You can find us on iTunes. Liz is uploading episodes to YouTube. If you mm -hmm. prefer that format, that medium, go for it. We're there for you. You can talk to us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You can shoot us an email. You can check out our website. You want to buy Ouija Broad swag? Well, my friends, we have my Etsy, Hello Most Ghost on Etsy. Or we have our Society6 shop, which is society6.com backslash Ouija Broads. You can buy cool Ouija Broads things. I make a lot more money if you buy it from me on Etsy. We don't make shit if you make it, buy it on Society6. But guess what? We still would love for you to own something that you think is pretty cool. That's artwork that we had a hand in making. Devin just likes to put pretty things out there. Right? I Maybe I am like Harold Blaze. Just wanna, I just want to make the world pretty. But the world is already pretty because we've got so many fucking gorgeous listeners. Aww. Yeah. Ending it on a love fest. I love it. I want you to love weird. I want you to live weird. Die weird. And I want you to stay weird, friends. Yes. Do that. Do that. But don't be immortalized as a fucking precious moments astronaut. What is that stuff going to go do? What's it going to do?